the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Welcome again, folks, to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour right here on AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word, in Orlando. We're so glad you're with us. And so is Pete Paquette, a superb engineer. He does it all. He gets us on the air. Andrew Herdliska is the producer. And Tim Casey is the guest. He's in the Greenville, Spartanburg, South Carolina area. Founder and executive director of Frontline Missions International. Author of A Day's Journey, Stories of Hope and Death-Defying Joy. Tim, welcome to Orlando. I hope you're well. Thank you so much, Pat. It's good to be here. How did this book come about? Well, I have written books that are rooted in my journals as I've traveled the world, uh, documenting the advance of the gospel and the church and God's work in the world. Uh, I've always felt a responsibility to bring along others with me, so to speak, on my travels. And so I did a whole series called Dispatches from the Front um, and was planning another series of documentaries like that and and journal-based books like that. And uh, cancer came along, Um, a very serious, aggressive cancer that just shut everything down for me in terms of travel and focused on uh, how to how to survive it. And um, so this book was really born out of my cancer journey and also a desire to help others uh, in their suffering and also just all of us and how we use the precious bits of our uh, our days, our life that, that God has given us. Johnny Erickson Tata does the foreword. That's impressive. Very kind of her. She's a, a dear friend and was always there for me. Um, with notes of encouragement uh, along the way as I was uh, in the transplant unit and going through chemo and you know, just a a dear friend and very sweet of her to take the time to do that. Tim, by the way, what what form of cancer were you dealing with? Dealing with uh, two two kinds of lymphoma. How are you doing now? Uh, I still have cancer. Um, the the chemo and the transplant um, knocked it down, but did not knock it out, and so. I I go from PET scan to PET scan to see, since I I do know from my earlier experiences that it's um, when it's on the move it's quite aggressive. So I've got a great oncologist and we're keeping track of things. In the meantime, I'm just fighting to regain strength and traveling again, working on another project as God gives me strength and days to do it. Tim, we're speaking the same language because 13 years ago, I was diagnosed with multiple myeloma, which Uh, is uh, a cancer of the blood and the bone marrow. So uh, we're we're talking the same language, Tim. Mm, uh, I understand, yes. I I can encourage you. um, uh, Three things I learned, stay close to the Lord. Uh, Number two, stay positive, stay optimistic. Number three, listen to your doctors. And number four, 
uh, keep living your life. Uh, yes. Keep keep living your life. Those are the four things that I came away with. So uh, I'm trying to apply them every day. Well, let's let's yes. start through this book. Setting out is the main topic here at the beginning. Dear Diary, One Day to Live, Stumbling into the Future, Time in a Rectangle. I want to hear all about setting out, Tim. Okay. Uh, the, the title of the book is A Day's Journey, which uses that phrase that was an ancient measure, a biblical measure of, of distance, how far a person could walk or travel in a day. And it was, a, for me, a way to frame up the swiftness and the preciousness of life. Um, and so I structured the book around the idea of a day's journey. So the first part, as you mentioned, is called setting out. Um, and in setting out, I wanted to write about certain themes about time. Um, the, the first chapter, Dear Diary, is just about the the value of ordinary days. If we if we count ordinary days as unimportant days, then we're going to go through life with blinders on and and miss out on on what God is doing, and uh, we're just going to miss out on life because most most of our days are ordinary days. And so Jesus gives us some great encouragement about how we look at our days like that. And uh, so I wrote about that in in the Dear Diary chapter. And what is a, a time in a rectangle? What does that mean? Mm-hmm. Time in a rectangle is, uh, I, I drew that uh, description from something uh, an essayist named Lance Morrow uh, once wrote um, about how a photograph captures time in a rectangle and yet doesn't tell the whole story. There's more to it behind that photograph, that uh, it just captures a moment. So it was my way of writing about the power of memory. Uh, it's a, a, a very important part of, obviously, our, our life, because what we, when we think about, when we look back on our lives, most of it is, is captured in our memory. And so... Um, I wanted to work through that 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 idea, and um, that's what power. That's what time and rectangle is about. And and in that chapter, I went back to my my hometown in Virginia, and um, back to Danville where I grew up, and uh, have deep roots there. And went back to the the home where I grew up, and just to find as as I think many people can identify with that that you, you can never really go back home. And um, so I wrote about that experience and about going back to the little church where I first heard the gospel and believed on Jesus. And um, it, was a, it was a really helpful exercise for me. I hope it's helpful to readers, too, as they think about their own lives and memories and um, how the memories of grace are the ones that— uh, are made of more enduring things. My guest <clears throat> in uh, South Carolina, Tim Casey. We're talking about his book, A Day's Journey. Tim, um, along the way is your second major topic. And you write about uh, in the eye of a storm, yes. hopeful planting, knee deep in wonders, the day the walls came down, brave music. And, and then the sweet psalmist of Texas and five witnesses. Boy, there's a lot here. Uh, start, uh, start telling us. Okay, well, the, uh, the, the middle section of the book along the way uh, are journal entries uh, I've written where I spent days, a day with a person who has taught me a lot about certain things, whether it's courage or hope or worship or curiosity and wonder, or uh, just a bold witness to the power of the resurrection, which is, uh, which is our hope. Uh, you, you can't go through suffering um, and suffer well and suffer to the glory of God unless it is rooted, anchored in the hope 
of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, uh, so that five witnesses is, is what that's all about. Um, people that I've met all over the world, uh, extraordinary stories of uh, witness to the power of, of Christ's rising. Um, so, um, I just have a just wonderful um, friends who have uh, allowed me to share their stories and walk with them through a, a typical day for them. And the first one in, in the eye of a storm is a, is from my friend Rosaria Butterfield, and uh, just an extraordinary story of, of uh, conversion. Uh, she describes her conversion because she she came from a a background of a radical feminist, and, uh, and she was a leader in the LGBTQ community, and she was a, a committed lesbian, and then to be radically converted. Uh, <laughs> just a beautiful life, a beautiful story of the power of the gospel, and now to be with her and her pastor, her husband, who's a pastor, and her children, um, and then to see how she prays. Yeah, see how she prays for people. And, uh, it was a wonderful day spent with her. Uh, all of it a testimony to the to the transforming power of the gospel. Um, I can I can go on with other stories. Oh, listen, too. I'm I'm all uh, Tim. I'm all ears. I want to hear this. Well, the the next chapter, uh, a day of hopeful planting, is one of the m- most difficult and important chapters to me to write from from this section because uh, it is a sacred thing to walk with a saint to the edge of the river before they cross over. And um, that's what I did with uh, my my best friend who died of cancer. And uh, I wasn't able to spend just a day with him, but after hospice was called in, um, we spent the hours that we could together in that last month. And um, it was very precious. And um, uh, this this whole book isn't about like seven ways to do this or that or succeed here or there. This this is about walking with me and, and basically sitting with me and walking with me as I uh, – Listen to people's stories and, and to hear their see their experiences. And so, in the case of of my friend Jonathan, it was to um, see how a person lives well and dies well, and um, and and just the the the, real, the, the realness of those uh, mundane days that led up to his crossing the river. So uh, that's what a day of hopeful planning. He's a gardener, and he was. When the, the, the chapter opens, he's planting a garden that he knows he will never uh, see the see the fruits of it. Tim Tim Casey is our guest. The book, A Day's Journey. We've got more with Tim. You're listening to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 990, FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Tim Casey is with us from the Greenville-Spartanburg, South Carolina area. We're talking about his book, A Day's Journey, Stories of Hope and Death-Defying Joy. Tim is sharing with us his uh, his cancer battle, and and the Lord uh, has, has led him through it. And Tim, he's leading us now towards... Toward evening, that's the third major part of your book. Another way to die in Habakkuk's Tower, chemo days, Christmas day, numbered days, all my days. Uh, lots to discuss here, Tim. Fill us in. Well, uh, the section toward evening is about journal uh, journals that I wrote during uh, my cancer journey, a lot of it written from days of chemo infusions and in the transplant unit and and then the, the long, slow, hard, and uncertain recovery. Um, and as I said earlier, I, I still have cancer, but uh, it's been beaten down for the time. Um, 
But in the first chapter of that section, Another Way to Die, it's really important to me to uh, help the reader understand that I don't feel like, I don't believe that I'm suffering more than anyone else and and all of this. Cancer is just another way to die. Uh, All of us are terminal. And um, and so it, it was framing up just that these entries were my experiences and what I was going through. Um, but hopefully along the way of that, it would be helpful to those who are suffering or those who are serving those who are suffering. And so that's how the chapter opens. And, and then it, and it sort of explains how my diagnosis came about, how it stopped my worldwide travels suddenly, and uh, what, how much smaller life became for me. Uh, tell me this, so Tim. I like, I like to call it uh, a dispatch from the cancer front, so to speak. What about Habakkuk's Tower? What's that mean? Uh, so in those early days of struggling with, like, this is real, this is, I'm, I'm so weak and I'm struggling, um, I, um, I, I really wrote that chapter in a, in a cemetery an old cemetery uh, here in Greenville, South Carolina. Um, it was a place to, to meditate. It was a peaceful place. And uh, thinking about uh, death and thinking about my own death and uh, just working through that. And, and there's a passage in Habakkuk in Chapter 2 um, of Habakkuk where he we, we think of Habakkuk Three, where you know, even if there's no fruit on the vine or cattle in the stall, I will take joy in the Lord. I mean, that's a great triumphant conclusion to the book. But that's in Habakkuk three. In Habakkuk two, he says, "I will take my stand at my watchpost, my tower, and station myself on this tower and look out and see what He will say to me and, and what I will answer concerning my complaint." So. Habakkuk is just saying, God, I've got big questions about what you are doing here. I don't understand it, and uh, and I need answers. And uh, it's a very challenging passage of Scripture. And and God God does answer him, but he doesn't give him all the answers. And he, he comes away with just understanding that um, the ultimate answer is, is God himself. It's, it's trusting and knowing him. And knowing his sovereign hand is a good hand, um, he is with his people always. So it was it was a, a a time in which I was struggling with my diagnosis. I, I, Tim, I want you to tell me when you got the diagnosis, were you feeling poorly? How did the, how did they find out that you had cancer? How did that come about? Uh, I had. Um, I had, I had back pain, and the I guess my blood numbers and all were uh, concerning, and so they did a biopsy, and that was when I found the the first form of lymphoma, and then the second one just came because I was not getting, I was not responding to the treatments well, and I was getting worse and worse, and um, so they dug deeper and more biopsies. Uh, and the Mayo Clinic determined um, the, this rare aggressive form of T cell lymphoma that I had. How did they break so, the news? How did they break the news to you, Tim? And how did you react? Oh, I was um, I was packing. Uh, my wife and I were headed to our favorite place on the Georgia coast, and uh, we just needed to get away from doctors and appointments and have a week uh, to ourselves and um, but we were we had been waiting for the Mayo Clinic to come back with the, the report and it was long in coming so um, I said uh, it would take a you know class five hurricane to stop us from going we were going to go uh, and yet my oncologist called me as we were packing and gave us the report and uh, it was it was a, a real blow, and 
because of its aggressiveness, she felt like we needed to postpone our trip and start chemo right away. And that's what I did. And where did that take place? In in the Greenville-Spartanburg area? It did. It, it took place here in Greenville. And and how did you relate to your oncologist? What, what, what's that relationship been like for you? It has been a, a gift from God. Um, I had an earlier experience with an oncologist at the very beginning that was that did not go well, and um, and there was a, a lack of attentiveness I felt. But um, through a just a, a series of fortunate events, God at work, He brought this oncologist into our lives, and she's someone who is, she's compassionate and skillful and tenacious, and she's given me her cell phone number and said, call me day or night uh, if there's a need, and and I've had to do that in times where a fever came or I was getting ready to go into a, a, I was had a lot of questions, and so she's been very accessible, and um, she's a very special person in, in our lives now. Tim, um, one out of two men in America at some point will deal with cancer. One out of three women at some point will deal with cancer. Um, I guess you and I are one of the two. Yes. But, but you know, I don't think I would trade my cancer. It's allowed me to have a ministry, um, with, with people. Uh, I wrote my book called The Mission is Remission. Uh, I still get calls uh, almost daily from people who are have just been diagnosed and they, they need a word of hope. Uh, so I, 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 think it's, I think it's a God calling. I, I, I didn't want to volunteer. Yeah. I wouldn't have volunteered, but I, I, I think God has, <laughs> I, has called us to this. I completely understand that. Um, and it's just his grace and kindness that's allowed us to, to have that because um, even since my diagnosis, I've had friends who've had cancer and died of cancer. So, really? really? Um, it was, it was, it's, it's his kindness that allows us uh, his mercy, this, this kind of ministry. And, and I do agree. Uh, I would not have volunteered for this, but cancer has given me a, a focus on the finish line that I, I did not have before. And um, and I, I trust through um, this book and through other means for the days that God gives me, I can glorify him in it, through it, and because of it. Tim, do you find yourself thinking more about heaven? Uh, I, I find myself thinking more about Jesus, my, my good shepherd. Um, and I think that means I'm thinking about heaven, too, because he's the— He's the center of it all. Um, I was just reading this morning in, in John 10, oh, that passage where he says that uh, he, he's the good shepherd and, and um, he demonstrates his, his incredible goodness by laying down his life for his sheep. And, and then he's going to take up his life again, he says, and no one can take his sheep from his hand. No one. And so those strong hands are the ones who are leading me now and bringing me home. So, and that, that is how I've come to see cancer and other people's journeys, too, that God is bringing all of his children home. He's bringing them to himself. And our paths may look different. They may be longer or shorter than another uh, person's, but... Uh, God will succeed in bringing all of his children to himself. We're just on, a, we're just on the path there. Yes. Tim, how have people responded to this book? I found people who have lost a loved one or are in the middle of suffering to find comforting reminders from the word uh, and and I can identify with stories that I'm sharing, and 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 it is, it has lifted their spirits and lifted their eyes to to, to Jesus. Um, but I've also found people who, uh, a, a young 
um, mom wrote me a, a few days ago saying that um, the, the way I wrote about the value of ordinary days, uh, you know, the, the mundane of life and, and finding the, the preciousness uh, in the ordinary was something that was, uh, was immensely encouraging to her. So that was a blessing to, to, to see those varied responses to, to the book. Well, folks, my guest has been Tim KZ, founder and executive director of Frontline Missions International. He's based out of the Greenville Spartanburg area in South Carolina, and we've been talking about his book, A Day's Journey, Stories of Hope and Death-Defying Joy. Folks, if you're struggling with cancer, know somebody who is, uh, this book could be a real help to you. A Day's Journey and Tim Casey. It's spelled K-E-E-S-E-E. We've got more on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 990. FM 101.5, the word in Orlando. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour. AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word. Now, here's Pat. Tim Casey, our guest in that first segment in the Greenville-Spartanburg area, talking about his book, A Day's Journey. Well, we go from Greenville-Spartanburg all the way across the country to Orange County, California. Jay Hewitt is there. He's an Iron Man battling brain cancer, and he's written a book called I Am Weak, I Am Strong, Building a Resilient Faith for a Resilient Life. Jay, welcome to Orlando. How are you? I'm doing great. Well, Jay, let us dive right in. The prologue to your book is simply called You've Got to Ask. What are you writing there? Well, you know, uh, after receiving a a terminal diagnosis of brain cancer, it is completely natural to ask, why me? And I have found in my walk with the Lord that you've got to ask that question. You can't avoid asking that question. And if you do, and if you're willing to wrestle with God, you can come out stronger in your faith as long as you turn to him and not away. And I also write about how not only do you need to ask why me of the tragedies in life, but also of the blessings in life. And when when you have the perspective to see that it's not just all one way or the other, you're able to see God's interaction in your life a little more clearly. Your first chapter is called Round One. Tell us about that. Yeah, so uh, in my journey, and my book isn't uh, strictly a memoir, uh, but it, it does surround my story with spiritual insight. And so I really went through two major rounds of uh, this journey. The first, I thought I just had a brain tumor that was benign, and it, had, it was a very high-risk surgery that I had to go through. Uh, and then I got a clean bill of health after that, that surgery was complete. And then round two came upon, and uh, I found out that the tumor had returned. I had terminal brain cancer. But I have this boxing metaphor in the, the first chapter of my book where I'm talking about uh, when you spar and you're tired, you want to start dropping your, your, your gloves. But if you drop your gloves, you're going to suffer a lot more pain when you get hit in the chin. And so the concept there is that it hurts more to give up. And it's the same thing in life. If you're in the ring and you give up and you let your hands drop, it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt more. And then also in life, if you give up on the things that God has called you to, there's going to be more hurt when you don't fulfill that calling in your life and you don't live life to the fullest. Then you move to this topic, awake to tell about it. <laughs> yes. So after discovering that I had a brain tumor, I also discovered that it was in a very high-risk section of my brain. It was a ping-pong-sized ball brain tumor right in the center of my brain. They call it the eloquent cortex. And uh, it's there that you your brain gets all of its eloquent functioning, your personhood, your ability to behave in social settings, your ability to, to speak and to move. And so in order to get into that eloquent cortex, there's only five surgeons in the world even qualified to attempt this surgery. And I was able to gain access to one. And he told me 
that in order for him to operate on me, I was going to need to remain awake, which absolutely floored me to think about staying awake as they cut out a ping pong size portion of my brain. Um, That was scary to say the least. And in my book, in chapter two, I'm able to actually uh, recall what that surgery was like with great clarity. And so I describe that. And I also talk about the peace of Jesus that, that came over me greater, greater than I could ever imagine. And uh, I give praise to him there and also give some, uh, give some uh, principles of how you can access that kind of peace. Tell us about Completely Exposed, topic number three. Yeah, so in that, in that surgery, um, there was this moment. I was awake for it. I was wide awake for it. And I could tell when the surgeon was moving from the outer region of my brain into the eloquent cortex. And it's guarded by these major arteries where if an artery is nicked, you could have a stroke or you possibly pass away. If he removes a portion of the brain that he hadn't planned on, if he just, just nicks outside of the, the surgery zone, he could have major brain damage. And I could tell when he was moving into, into that area. Now, at that point, my head is in a vice and my body is strapped down to the table, and I am, I am completely out of control. All control is in his hands. And I was praying, you know, Lord, may your hand be with my surgeon's hand. And so prayer was my, my only interaction. However, through that moment, I learned that strength really comes from weakness and from vulnerability. It's when you're in a vulnerable position then God is the only agent that can be acting for your good. My guest is Jay Hewitt. He's in Southern California. We're talking about his book, I Am Weak, I Am Strong. Topic number four for you, Jay, The Greater Miracle. Yeah, so when I come out of that first surgery, a miracle is pronounced. Uh, the, The surgery was completely successful, more successful than they thought it would be. Um, However, I experienced a greater miracle because miracles aren't just what God does for you, but what God does in you. And there was some great inner healing that came as a result of experiencing that miracle, things that went back all the way to my childhood. And that's when I realized, wow, God is doing more work in me than I could have ever imagined. Now we move to this topic for you, uh, Jay. The answer is no, and that's okay. Yes, yes. So then, about a year after that first surgery, when I was given a clean bill of health, it was at that point that new tumor returned. And so I started praying, Lord, may this not be cancerous. May this not be cancerous. May this not be cancerous. And then I found out it was cancer. It was terminal. No cure. So in essence, my prayer, Lord, please do not allow this to be cancerous. The answer I received was no. And at that moment, this is, this is the big revelation moment. At that moment, my heart, my mind, my soul was taken to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 9, or yeah, chapter 12, verse 9 and 10. And this is where Paul was also told no. He had a thorn in his side, and he prayed three times which in the biblical imagery three times means he, played it, he prayed it through and through. There was nothing left to pray about. And he also received the answer, no, he did not receive a cure or a reprieve from whatever that thorn may be. But God's Spirit graciously told him, that although my answer is no, those are my words, he said, my grace is sufficient, for my power is perfected through weakness. And then Paul concludes, well, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And so I concluded the same thing, and I believe any of your listeners also, this scripture applies to them. It truly is when we're weak that then we're strong, because that's when we're positioned for God's power to work through us. And this is what changed my whole life trajectory. And then you move to the topic, do difficult things. Uh, What does that mean? 
<laughs> yes. So after praying with, with God and, and receiving an answer to that prayer, God, what are you doing? Having an understanding that he was about to demonstrate his power through my weakness, I then prayed a very important and pivotal prayer that your listeners can pray as well. God, how can I cooperate with you? How can I cooperate? And I got this crazy idea. I'll call it a nudge from the Holy Spirit. I got this crazy idea of what if when I'm just recovering from my second brain surgery and I just start radiation and chemotherapy, what if I attempt an Ironman triathlon? What if I do this uh, to demonstrate love to my daughter, to show her what resilient faith and resilient living looks like. Now, an Ironman, in case some of your audience doesn't know, an Ironman is a triathlon, and it's 140 miles. So you swim two and a half miles, and then you cycle 112, and then you finish it off with a full marathon, 26.2 miles. And I decided I want to I do this at my weakest and put God's Word to the test, essentially. Now I knew that this scripture was, was more about spiritual strength, strength of the soul. But I wanted to see, would it apply in this, in this time, in this setting, to a physical strength as well? And so I decided to do it. I committed to my, my daughter, and I signed up for an Ironman triathlon, and I started training. First day of radiation and chemotherapy, I ran a mile. And then through the course of my treatment, I continued training until I was ready, until I was ready to compete. Wow. Now there is power in a name. Yes. Fill us in. Yes. So in my training time, uh, I was training for the open water swim. I'm in Southern California. I was swimming in the Pacific Ocean. And it was a a particularly stormy day, but I needed to keep on track with my training. And so I went out for a swim and I went out alone. My training partner did not show up. And I still pressed on by myself, which talk a lot about community in here and the support of other believers to carry your burdens. But I went out on my, on my own. And in the fog, I lost, I lost my way. And I got caught in a rip current, but I couldn't tell which way was in, which way was out. And I thought, I may, I may drown. This may be my end. And I, there I talk about the, the name of my daughter. Her name is Hero. And we named her that after a Shakespearean character. And Shakespeare stole her name from Greek mythology. And this, this myth talks about uh, a man who's trying to swim to get back to his love that is hero. And so here, as I'm thinking about this grand fight that I'm in for my life with cancer and how I just want to be able to make it home to my family, uh, I thought about this Greek myth. Because in the myth, sometimes... Uh, the, the human man makes it across the sea to hero. In other, in other times, depending on who's telling it and what region it's being told, uh, the man does not make it back. And so I, I started to, to meditate on that, and I started to ask the Lord to allow me to be the man that makes it home to my daughter's hero. Jay and Hewitt I, I, is our guest. His book, I Am Weak, I Am Strong. Building a Resilient Faith for a Resilient Life. We have more with Jay. Stay with us. It's the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, AM 990, FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Jay Hewitt is our guest here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. And, Jay, we've arrived at this topic, training through the apocalypse. Uh, you got to tell us about that. <laughs> yes. So as I'm uh, moving towards this insane goal of completing an Ironman triathlon wall, going through cancer treatment, things were difficult. That was not easy to do. And then things got more difficult. I was training during the pandemic. And all of a sudden, everything started to shut down, including races and training facilities. So now I'm I'm training through the pandemic, and the stress on my family is getting more and more. And then in Southern California, we have a record fire season, and uh, all the authorities are telling people not to exercise outside. And I have scheduled for my training program to be exercising over 100 miles per day. 
And it was also a summer of record heat waves. And so I'm trying to train double-digit miles in double-digit, or sorry, triple-digit miles in triple-digit heat. And it seemed impossible. And this is where I really started questioning the voice of the Lord, or not so much the voice of the Lord, but if I, if I heard the voice of the Lord correctly, which I think is a very common thing. When somebody feels like they have a calling on their life given to them by God, it is hard to make sure that you deciphered the, the voice of the Lord correctly. And so in this chapter, I talk about the difficulty in that and also giving some, some principles of how do you decipher the voice of the Lord in your life. Tell us about strength to start, topic number nine. Yes. Well, every morning as I'd get up to pray, I would ask God, Lord, please give me strength. And then I'd put my feet on the ground, and I'd trust his power, and I would get up, I'd stay strong, and I'd press on. I did that every day in training. And, it, and finally, after quite a roller coaster, finally I made it to the start line for the Ironman Triathlon. And I prayed for the strength to start. And I, I had a strong start. But this, this is where I learned that Nehemiah 8.10 is true. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And so I decided at the very beginning of this race to allow the joy of the Lord to strengthen me and to fuel me. Now, I had heard before uh, the, the slogan, choose joy. And I tried before, and it didn't work for me. When I was going through hard times and I just told myself, well, I'm going to choose joy, sometimes circumstances are just too extreme to be able to muster up joy. But what I learned and what I pass on to your audience and the readers of this book is although you can't just merely choose joy, you can choose gratitude. And by employing gratitude, that is the gateway to joy. And when you find true joy, the joy of the Lord, it truly does give you strength. And so that's how I started my race. I started my race with gratitude, and every step of the way, I gave thanks. And every step of the way, the, the joy of the Lord fuels my race. Jay, tell us about feeling strong until I wasn't. Yes. So, so here I am, fueled by the joy of the Lord, experiencing His power transforming my weakness into strength. And things were going really well. I got out of, out of the, the water after two and a half miles of swimming, and I felt refreshed. I had some spiritual experiences through that, through that swim, and I felt like a, a man coming out with a baptism. Then I got onto the bike, and I headed out to the Pacific Coast Highway. And as I headed up towards Long Beach, it was a beautiful ride. The sun just came up. This is, a, this is an interesting thing about an Ironman triathlon. You start your race in the dark. And then the sun comes up. You race all through the day, and then the sun sets, and you finish your race in the dark. And so the, the mental fortitude that it takes for that is, is uh, something else. And so at this point, the sun was just starting to, to rise, and it was beautiful how the sun was reflecting off the, the ocean, and it was a, a marvelous day. You couldn't ask for a better day. The, the temperature was perfect. Everything was going well. After 112 miles of cycling, I got off my bike at the transition zone, and I put on my shoes, and I was feeling wonderful. My, my wife and my daughter, who I dedicated my race to, were at the transition zone. My daughter came and gave me a big hug, knocked me flat on my back, and uh, the joy of seeing them fueled me. And I started off on my run. Now, it's important to note here that I'm not a triathlete. I had never ran a marathon before. I'd never ran a half marathon before. I wasn't even a, a high school varsity athlete. So at this point, I'm 115 miles into a race. I still have a full marathon to go. And I was intimidated by that going into it. But I was feeling so strong that I was somewhat looking forward to, to ending this race with a marathon. And I start off running. I plan to do 10-minute miles, a moderate pace. And I took off, and I looked down after a mile. I looked at my watch, and I was doing eight-minute miles, quite a bit faster than I'd planned. And I told myself, okay, this is a marathon, not a sprint, so slow it down. And I did another, another mile, and I looked down, and I was doing eight-and-a-half-minute miles. 
I thought, whoa, maybe, maybe this, uh, this strength and weakness thing is, uh, is going to give me some extra fuel to really smash my projected time. I, and I was quite a, quite a bit ahead of where I thought I would be. And then a couple miles later, with 20 miles left to go, all of a sudden, it hit me. I knew at some point that the chemotherapy, the radiation, the recovering from surgery, I knew at some point it was going to cause trouble. I was worried that it was going to cause tr- cramping, which chemotherapy often ca- causes cramping, cramping. And the Ironman Triathlon, the Ironman organization, has these highlight reels that they love to play of these elite athletes crawling across the finish line because they've cramped up. So because I was worried about that, I was really on top of my nutrition. I was making sure I was taking in the right amount of nutrition and that I wasn't missing anything. But what I didn't count on was the fact that chemotherapy also wrecks your digestive tract. And so all of this, all of this nutrition that I was putting into my body it was in my stomach, but it wasn't being absorbed through my gut lining, which I didn't realize that when I was swimming because my stomach was stationary. And same when I was riding a bike, my stomach was stationary. But once I started running, all of a sudden, my, everything in my stomach was becoming jostled. And then my stomach got mad at me. Let's just say that. I'm not going to go into details here. But all of a sudden, I went from feeling good and feeling strong to feeling like I had to run a marathon with the stomach flu. And at that point, at that point, I realized I'm not going to finish this race. There's no way. Because at that point, I couldn't take in any nutrition. I couldn't take in any hydration. And I knew that even if I was at my best, a body cannot survive a marathon without taking a sip of water. And I knew at some point I'm going to cramp up. And I probably won't cramp up right at the finish line and just crawl my way across. I'm 20 miles away. And if I cramp up, there's no way I can crawl my way 20 miles to the finish line. And so I had to make peace. I had to make peace with the fact that I wasn't going to make it back to the finish line and to fulfill that promise I made my daughter. And at that point, as I came to peace with that, I settled on a new mantra to pray continuously. I've got nothing to prove, just an example to set. I've got nothing to prove, just an example to set. And for my readers and your audience, that's a truth that we can live every day. We don't have anything to prove, but we do have an example to set for the next generation, for our children, for our grandchildren. And so I decided that I was just going to press on as long as I could so that I could look my daughter in the eyes And I could tell her with full sincerity, honey, I gave it my all to make it back to you. I gave everything I had to make it back to you out of love. And so as I pressed on making peace with the fact that I wasn't going to finish, I also prayed a very simple prayer that anyone can pray. Help. Just one word, help. And this is what I learned. When you pray for help, The Lord most often sends his people, and that's what he did for me. It seemed like he didn't didn't answer that prayer, but now looking back, he just didn't answer it yet. Or maybe he did. Maybe I just wasn't aware that he was answering it as I was trying to press on. I prayed for help, and probably right about that time, my coach, who was from Idaho, who had flown in for the race, who had coached me uh, long distance over the vitals that came through my sports watch, She noticed, as she was still tracking my vitals, she noticed I was in trouble, and she was able to track me down, and she met me at the next aid station. And as I came past the aid station, I looked over, and there she was. And she had brought her running shoes with her from Idaho. She had put her running shoes on, and she started running beside me. And isn't that true for us in life and in faith? If we're going to finish this race, We need people running alongside of us, willing to carry our burdens. And as she ran alongside of me, she started troubleshooting with me. Now, I'm a rookie. I've never done this before. But she was an Ironman that competed at the world championship level. She knew what she was doing. So she started asking me questions I would have never asked myself. And she diagnosed 
what the problem was. And she said, Jay, this is what you need. And she handed me this big salt tablet. She said, put this underneath your tongue. It'll balance out the electrolytes in your body. Mm. And maybe, maybe you'll start absorbing some nutrition. Let's go to the last two. We've got less than a minute, uh, Jay. How to do it, what and why. Those are your last two chapters. Yes. So after that salt tablet dissolved and I started to feel strong again, I was able to cross the finish line. It was Mm. an amazing feeling. And I crossed the finish line. And once I crossed the finish line, I reunited with my family. And that's where I finished what I set out to do gave my wife a kiss and handed her flowers. And then I got down on one knee and I looked my daughter in the eye and I told her, if I can do it, you can do it. I told her, honey, God's going to put dreams in your heart. Go after those dreams and do not be surprised when your enemy knocks you down, but hold onto the hope of Jesus. In his power, get up, stay strong and press on and learn that all things are possible with God. Tell her, honey, if I can do it, you can do it. And in chapter 11, I say the same thing to the reader. If I can do it, you can do it. And then I go into depth of how. How is that possible? Practically, how do you find resilient faith for a resilient life? How? Jay Hewitt has been our guest. His book, I Am Weak, I Am Strong. What a visit. Well, folks, that's it. For today's Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, so glad you joined us here on AM 990, FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Have a wonderful week ahead. God bless you. We'll see you next weekend. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at this time, where faith comes by hearing. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.